Welcome, everyone, to the IMWT Podcast, where you'll hear stories about how attending or working at WT changed the lives of our guests and how they're paying it forward by making a difference in their community. This is episode number six. I'm your, one of your hosts, Bray Faust. I'm here with the Queen Bee of IMWT, Tierney Lockhart. What's going on, T? Hello, guys. I'm going pretty good. Ready for the end of the semester. How it's about you? Early April. Starting into early April, and we're getting into crunch time, so we're... I'm we're busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we have a great guest with us here today, so we'll let you introduce yourself. So my name is Dr. Mukherjee. I teach at Department of Life, Art and Environmental Sciences. I have been here since spring of 2022. So this is my second year at WT. I'm very excited to be here. Where'd you grow up from? Where, where are you I from? I grew up in India. In India? Uh, but I have spent most of my adult life here in the U.S. So how did you come from like India to, where did you start off in the U.S.? For my PhD program. Okay. After I finished my master's in India, I was offered full tuition waiver and full scholarship to come and do a PhD in the U.S. So wow, that's, that's cool. where I started. Bowling Green State University. It's in Ohio. That's really cool. Well, I like that. I like that. Well, we're here to also discuss... The, the new research-based teaching program, uh, Tiny Earth, but we're going to get to that a little bit later. Right now, I'd like to ask you about teaching. You've received many teaching awards and accreditations, such as the uh, the Butch Austellet Distinguished Professorship and Association for College and University Educators Certification. Have you wanted to teach or be a scientist or somewhere in the middle of both? I always wanted a balance of both. I love teaching. I enjoy teaching a lot. I always worked with undergraduate students throughout my entire PhD career and then career after that, which were a lot of postdocs. And then I entered a primarily teaching position, which I was there for four years at Southern Miss, right on the Gulf Coast, lots of ocean and lots of birds and all of that. So, and lots of very nice students. Yeah. So I enjoyed teaching there a lot, but I always wanted a career which blended both research opportunities as well as teaching. So WT offered me that. WT offered me a position which kind of has the ability to blend both. So I came here. Yeah. So was it like a big culture shock? I guess you had like two big culture shocks, like coming from India, then going to Ohio, then coming to WT. I think I'm a very open-minded person. So I have never felt a cultural shock as a lot of other people usually do. Yeah. I just keep my mind open and I accept most people as they are. It has been great for the most part, all of those experiences. What would, you, what would you say is like a big difference, a, a very big difference between India and Texas that you've noticed, like something like, wow, I can't believe they do this here in Texas. I have lived in the United States for so long that I, I don't think I can actually even answer that question <laughs> very well anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people there for sure. People, the number of people here is a lot less. That's one thing. Like you walk yeah. on the street compared to India, there is a lot less people. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't I, India have the highest population of, in the, the entire world? The second highest, yes, second high, for sure. Yes. I think, oh, China's so, number one, I think. China's China number one. India's yeah. Second, yeah, it's it's a big population for sure. Yes. And here you <laughs> can sure. like walk around and you'll know at least like three people on the street. Yes, that you, three people like, on the street versus yeah. <laughs> 300 people on the street. Yeah. yeah. That's a major difference for sure. The I, I grew up in Calcutta, which is a very big city. So that's another thing, like... Big city environment, lots of people versus, you know, small city, small town environments. And I actually prefer small town environments. So I lived in Chicago for a while and 
that was great. Loved Chicago for two years. I was at the University of Chicago as a data postdoc there. But I think I enjoy visiting Chicago. I would enjoy visiting Chicago back again, <laughs> but I like my small town in yeah. a lot. Real quick, are you uh, real quick? Is Chicago style pizza worth worth it? I think so. You think you, so? You may want to try it. <laughs> it's, try it. It's not bad. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'll have to get rid of my New York style. So <laughs> I like New York style a lot too. Yes. Well, moving forward a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your research and your research interest. So I am primarily, very broadly, an environmental microbiologist. So my lab does a lot of work in the area of environment and microorganisms and how microorganisms play a major role in multiple functions in the environment. Our lab very specifically does a lot of different things, but we do microbial water quality a lot. So very recently, our lab started, well, we're, we're doing a whole bunch of projects, but one of the projects that we started is on Lake Meredith here, the National Park Services. Oh, yeah. So okay. they actually gave us the permit to do it, do the project. We are going in there, collecting water samples across Lake Meredith for the next several months. And you'll hear about that story at some point as well. Yeah, And we're looking at how the water quality looks like there. Our lab has also in the past several years done multiple projects on looking at antimicrobial resistance and drug resistance patterns. So you probably are aware that microorganisms, specifically pathogenic microorganisms, are becoming resistant to multiple drugs. And it's becoming very difficult for us as scientists as well as clinicians to kind of be able to treat those infections that are drug resistant in multiple different ways. Our lab looks at the environmental dissemination of antibiotic resistance. So we look at microorganisms which has antibiotic resistance or even resistant to multiple drugs in the environment and how that disseminates into, you know, human sources or animal sources, things like that. And we have we have done this kind of research in multiple different environments recently yeah. in the past mm -hmm. several years. So what would you say is like your favorite research project that you've been a part of? Oh, so many. My PhD project was, oh well, again, many of them, but my primary dissertation was in the Laurentian Great Lakes, mm -hmm. so, you know, up north, which is shared by Canada and the United States. So mm -hmm. we used to go out sampling those Great Lakes on EPA vessels, actual research vessels. We used to be on those vessels for, for months and collect samples throughout the entire, all of the five Great Lakes, and then bring them back and look at microbial qual water quality and what kind of microbes live in mm -hmm. those waters. And I think that was a very enjoyable one. Yeah. And re very recently, I'm really enjoying the Meredith Project here a lot, like looking into, you know, all these people go into the lake mm -hmm. and they swim on the lake and they boat in the lake. And it's very applicable. The research, you know, it's immediately applied to human health, to animal health, and it's going to be very important for us to find out how much contamination in terms of microbial pathogenic contamination is there on the lake. So we're very excited about that project. You yeah. might have a hypothesis of how much contamination <laughs> is in there. You, you will know that very soon. Uh, no spoilers? N nothing so far. Nothing so far. The, <laughs> the first set of results were really clean. The water is very clean, but it's also March, so... You know, water temperatures are very low. So nobody's there on those. It was just serene and nobody was there when we collected water. So yeah. you think it's when, probably going to change over summer. I was going to say, usually the summertime, in. the heat might be a little yes. different with those. For, Absolutely. Yes. And so. more people there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm a little scared now with my... <laughs> <laughs> so little things like this are like kind of like freaks me out like these are late. I feel like these would be good for like a good movie like a good scary movie like microorganisms like 
It goes Adap- too adapting. far. Everyone it goes gets to, infested. It goes adapting, and everything is we can't we can't handle it. <laughs> but really, I, I I think that's cool. I think that's cool. So, uh, like I said, you're a professor here. What classes do you teach here at, at I WT? Teach, I teach applied microbiology, okay, immunology, and then I will be teaching an environmental microbiology course online over summer. What do you hope your students take with them after your class? What do you hope that they you know carry with them? the rest of your life after they're done with your class? That's a great question when you said rest of their life. Because I, I notice a lot of students come to classes kind of, you know, and I don't blame them, but they come to classes kind of getting just to get grades, right? Because I got I'm an A student, I want to get an A in this class and I want to move on with our next chapter. But to me it feels like yes, that's a great focus, but if our focus is more on learning rather than actually getting grades, we actually do both. We learn and we retain that concept and we also get good grades. So I want my students to come to my class thinking that I'm going to learn a lot in this class and I'm going to retain all those concepts that I want to learn, I have learned in this class. And then that's going to anyways give me a good grade. So that's one thing that I, I always, in the beginning of class, I always tell my students that please focus on your learning rather than getting your grades because grades are going to come if you learn. Yeah. And at the end of my class, and in every single class that I teach, I think one of my most primary goals is to keep the concepts, the teaching those concepts as simply as possible. My class is a non-majors class. We have a majors microbiology class, but I don't teach it. I have students from all over. I have students for animal sciences. I have students from biology, but I have a lot of students for animal sciences. So my goal is to keep my classes as simple as possible, but still teach those exact same concepts. I feel like the more simplistically any concept is taught, they are retained a lot more. So when they move on to their next steps or their next classes or their next courses, they will remember because it was taught simplistically rather than, you know, making it more complex. If we try to teach something more complexly, then it ends at the end of the semester. They yeah. don't want to keep mm-hmm. it. But if I teach it simply, then it remains and they will keep it for the rest of their life. And all of these science concepts to me, whether you are a major student or whether you are a non-major student, it's important for us to retain them. Some of these are such basic and foundational concepts that it's going to help us understanding life processes as a whole, um, environmental processes as a whole, if we can retain those concepts. Yeah, I really like that thought process about learning, especially with science, because I feel like science is something that's stigmatized as a really, really hard thing that only like really smart scientists can do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yes. when you put it in concepts like that of, yeah, this is something necessary. And even yes. if you're not going to like go into the field of science, if you break it down simply, you can still take it with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Real world experiences and giving examples of uh, students always have this question, especially when they're taking a non-majors course, right? Why am I learning this? Why is this so important to mm-hmm. me? If you can make this simplistically relevant to their life, then how, oh yeah, this is important to me. This concept is important to me for to learn because here is the application of it, right? So that's how I try to teach my courses, that here is the concept, but this is why you're learning it. I always make it this way. And then, you know, this is a real world application. Why this is so important to you. And, and I, I, learned, that's my goal. I learned that advice a long time ago too. My first degree at Texas Tech was one professor told me like the grade is one thing, you know, the A or B is great, but the learning process is the most important aspect of it. If you are focused on your learning, focused on learning a trait, focused on learning a craft, then the grade is going to follow. It, it really will follow. But you're learning something for the world, your career. 
learn how to work this craft of yours that you're trying to master. And the grade is is just going to be a letter on a sheet of paper. But it's it's the real world aspect that is that is most important, to be honest. So what would you say is your best advice? I know that was some pretty good advice, but your best advice that you would give to students just real quick. I think I would go back to that same thing again. When you take a class, whatever class it is, if it's your majors class or we we do have to take a bunch of our non-majors class, which always we feel like, and I've done that, we feel like, why am I in that class? We want to always kind of focus on the learning process and we always want to focus on the fact that we want to find out why this is so relevant to me. It has to be relevant to me in some way, right? Even if me as a scientist, I'm going and taking, I have done that taking an art class. In my PhD, I went and took an art class because I just wanted to do it. I audited it. I didn't take it for grade, but I loved it. And I use that as part of my life now. It's part of my life. I use that art skill that I learned. And I still remember all the things that my teacher taught me. This past Friday, we went to Lake Meredith for our first field trip. And as I'm looking into the lake water, I'm looking at the color bands, the beautiful Mm -hmm. color bands on the water. And I'm remembering the things that this art teacher taught me like 15 years ago. And he basically taught me to look at the color. And he's like, it's not just blue. Are you looking at the purples in there? Are you looking at the yellows in there? I'm also looking, trying to look at that color based on the things that he taught me. Yeah. So that's real life application, right? You know what I mean? So I would like my students to think of those courses as that sort of a learning process rather than just getting a grade and moving on. I I love that. I I love that a lot. We're going to take a quick break, though. But when we come back, we are going to discuss the implementation of a new research-based teaching program, Tiny Earth. And talk a little bit about the importance of STEM or chat about Vincent Van Gogh. We haven't, we haven't decided yet. You never know with IMWT, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. You are listening to IMWT. Donors to West Texas A&M University give more than their material support. They devote time expertise, and commitment. WT would not be what it is today without individuals dedicated to our forward progress. Welcome back to IMWT. I hope you're all having a great, fantastic morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you're listening to this podcast. We're here with Dr. Mukherjee. Is that perfect? Yes, I got it. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> so before we got into the podcast room, we were discussing that you were actually a fan of art. Can you tell us um, about your, your passion for art? Yes, absolutely. I grew up in a family, which is a music family. We all do music. My Both my parents, they met because of music. They both are vocalists. So we, me and my brother, we both got the voice from them, the genes. And we grew up listening to music and doing music. The whole family does that, like, all, all the time. That's what we do. And then I, I got my other arts genes from my grandma, who was, or who he is, actually. She does sewing and painting and all of that. So I got into all of that as well as a kid. And then now I do painting, and I'm also a quilter, so I make quilts. 
all kinds of quilts and I kind of shifted my focus to quilting. You mm-hmm. got have to pick one thing, right? It's <laughs> tough, quilting. I know. Yeah. I picked quilting as my art form <laughs> and now that's the major thing I do and then music as well. Yeah. So yeah, I so love So what would you I say is like arts. your favorite art form? Quilting right now. Okay. <laughs> and vocals as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to quit vocals, so both. What's your voice part? What does that mean? Before this, I was actually, my first degree was at Texas Tech, was a vocal performance major. Oh, cool. So I, I know all about that. So if, are, were you a soprano or alto or anything like uh, that? My, uh, I told you I'm from India, right? So mm-hmm. our training in vocals is a little bit different from the Western. Oh, so okay. I'm an Indian classical trained musician or vocalist, but I have always done solos. Okay. Solo yeah. art pieces. So okay. very, very classically trained solo vocalist. You haven't have a favorite composer by any chance or anything like that? Oh, so many. So many. <laughs> you know where to, where to There's start, too many, I know. <laughs> most of them are very, very Indian background, not a lot into Western yet. My my brother is a, he is a, this is his career. So he mm-hmm. is an independent musician and he, he travels around the world doing his music and he's a solo musician and he does Western. He yeah, does all what? kinds of things, but I, I just stuck to the Indian classics. Just like the Indian classics. <laughs> Hey, Indian music is actually beautiful, is a beautiful art, in my opinion. I, I really enjoy it. It's always fast paced. It's, it, it, it's, 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 it's really cool, in my opinion, especially a Texan to listen to an Indian. It's, it's sure. very unique, but it's, it's really, really great. So, yeah, but. we're like watching like, I like Bollywood movies. I do too. Like yeah. I've seen a couple of them and every time I watch them, they're just so much fun. It's just so bright and vibrant and I like yes. listening to the like the music. Colors and, yeah. yeah the did, music. Did, you, did you guys watch the Oscars by any chance? Oh yeah, yes. I saw. So mm-hmm. one, uh, I can't remember what the movie it was a Bollywood movie, but it was India's very first Oscar for original song. Oh, the RRR. RRR. Yes, yes, that's RRR. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I was, oh, I was. I watched the performance of the Oscars. The performance was amazing. Oh, they, they, they got the Oscar. Yeah, like I get it. I understand why they got the Oscar. So fun. So moving back a little bit to WT and to your science stuff, you're implementing a new program at WT called Tiny Earth. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Tiny Earth is student sourcing antibiotic discovery program, which is a very innovative program, which basically converts traditional teaching labs into a discovery-based learning platform. So in this program, as we start implementing it starting in fall in all of our applied microbiology labs, the students will be involved in a research-based lab experience where they'll be learning a whole bunch of cutting-edge lab techniques, which all of which has a real-world experience to it or an application to it. The major application of this is in discovering novel antibiotics from soil samples. So the whole idea stems from the fact that, well, two-way issue that the world is facing right now. Number one is there is a lack of antibiotics, new antibiotics discovered. In the last 20 years, there hasn't been a single new group of antibiotic that has been discovered across the world. However, as we don't have new antibiotics, more and more pathogenic microorganisms which cause diseases are becoming more and more resistant to antibiotics. And multiples of them are resistant to multiple drugs. Like I told you before that our lab does this kind of research. Our lab looks at how how much in the environment we have. We find these organisms 
we did a study in the Mississippi Gulf Coast in the past three years, which we're in the process of publishing, so you'll see it soon. But we found like 90%, more than 90% of all of the organisms that we isolated from those water samples where people go and swim and do all those different recreational activities were resistant to at least one antibiotic. And then more than 50% of everything that we got from those waters were resistant to, were multidrug resistant, so more than three antibiotics. That was just an amazing discovery we made. So that's a huge issue that the world, the entire world is facing right now. You know, more and more antibiotic, more and more microbes are becoming resistant to these antibiotics, and we have a lack of antibiotics being discovered. So another problem is the pharmaceutical industry has kind of moved away from discovering new antibiotics because there's not a lot of profit in the process. So how do we solve this problem? One of the things that Joe Handelsman, whose brainchild is Tiny Earth, and she's at the Wisconsin Discovery Institute at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So she came up with this idea like, okay, if nobody else wants to do this, let's let students source this. Let's use our students to discover novel antibiotics. So she came up with this amazing simple idea, and I love simple ideas, I told you that. (laughs) In the soil, there is one gram of soil has 10 billion microorganisms in an average. And those microorganisms in the soil naturally produce antibiotics. They produce antibiotics. Most of the antibiotics that are like penicillin, streptomycin, they have been discovered from soil microorganisms. So her idea was, why don't we have our students dig soil and bring that soil to our teaching labs and have them isolate microbes from it and see if they're producing new antibiotics. In that process, they're going to be learning all of the techniques that we actually teach in a microbiology lab, but from a research perspective. So if the students in that semester actually get to discover new antibiotics, they're discovering. It's all of their discovery and everything that they have isolated from those soil samples. We're going to use panhandle soil samples here. But that's all of that is going to be cataloged in the actual Tiny Earth database and their names are going to be there. The classes' names are going to be there. So I am I'm excited about our students <laughs> yeah. to do this. Yep. I love that. I love it. So in your opinion, why do we need more STEM? STEM, if you all don't know, is science, technology, engineering, and math. Why do you believe we need more STEM students? Why is that? I believe that STEM in higher education, it teaches students to think critically and it prepares them for careers. It creates professionals that can work across scientific disciplines, doesn't necessarily have to be in a science world, but if they have a little bit of STEM background, it helps them to work across disciplines because they know how to critically think. And it helps them to solve challenging problems. So I think we need to create more STEM workforce, which is lacking currently. Even if the STEM students go out and get into jobs which are non-STEM, it's still going to help them because they have that training. So why do you think students aren't going into STEM? I think it's a choice we make. And it's also, I think it's also the women in science population. We need to kind Mm. of make women and little girls in high school or even in middle school, we need to get them excited about STEM. Traditionally, you know, women have been told that we need to be in the arts, we're better for the arts, and the men have been doing both eventually and more of the science, right, in the science fields. I think we need to do more of that. And if we can if we can bring women in science a lot more, kind of trying to go into, I want to do that. I want to go into high schools here. I want to go into middle schools here and do little programs with those students and get them involved. Not just the, and I don't think it's only help the girls. Mm-hmm. It's going to help the, the boys as well together. But together we can increase that STEM workforce to a great extent, I think. 
for sure. If we can motivate them. So I guess our last question for today is what does WT mean to you? I have enjoyed being in WT a lot. I think this this place has its own own feel to it, including the entire panhandle. I think it has its own culture. I think it has its own feel to it, which I have never seen anywhere else. The campus. I was in the Texas A&M College Station. I was an Aggie for three years. Um, I did a postdoc there for three years. I absolutely love that campus. <laughs> and that was one of the reasons, you know, when I got an A&M system and when I got an offer from A&M system to come back to our system again, I was like, yes, absolutely, because I loved being in the A&M mm-hmm. system. And it seems like, you know, because I've been an Aggie at some point of my career, coming here, it seems like being above is very similar because there they have their own culture. Here they have their own <laughs> culture. It's just so amazing that it's like so parallel. I think it's part being Texan. Texas is like this. It's got yeah. its own culture, yeah. it's got its own traditions, <laughs> the campus has all of it. It's like so vibrant and the students are all so unique. I love, I, I have really enjoyed being here since last spring and want to continue doing this. I do have a follow-up question to that. So a lot of us in our lives, we always have moments that, make us or help us choose the career path that we wanted to take. What was the one moment in your life that made you want to become a scientist in, in and of itself? That's a great question. Well, I, I told you I come from a family of musicians, right? But a lot of those musicians are also scientists. So my dad is an engineer. My uncle is an engineer. My grandpa, my dad's dad, he had a double master's in economics and maths. I got training in STEM from them growing up there and seeing them do science and arts all together, I think, made me want to do science as well. And then I think high school and the labs, we had biology labs, we did genetic engineering stuff and we learned about all of that cloning and genetic engineering and how you can improve so many, so many different fields got stuck to that. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a biologist and I'm going to do this. I want to do this as, as being a scientist. You know, science basically, it pretty much is an art form of itself. Absolutely. It just, it absolutely oh my gosh, yeah. Tell me about it. It's, oh yeah. It's Especially awesome. Especially <laughs> when you're in the lab. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching my students do all of these cutting edge techniques in lab right now. Like we do a whole bunch of molecular techniques in lab, which I want to implement in Tiny Earth as well mm-hmm. for, you know, not just my research students, but for all of the other students to learn all of that too. But I'm teaching them how to do that. Like you said, art form. Oh yeah. My students tell me, you know, she ran a gel and the bands don't come out. They're, they're lighter bands, but she's like, when you run the gel, the bands are so thick. What's the difference? You got to teach me that art. I'm like, yes, Monday, I'm going to teach you how, yeah. how that band is more thicker. <laughs> so yeah, it's that. art. Well, I can tell you have a passion for this for sure. And I, we can't thank you enough thank for you. joining us here. Tierney, it's always been a pleasure talking to you as well. Thanks. <laughs> Great talking to you guys. So... Anyway, I think we're going to head on out here. We thank you so much for joining us here on this episode, Dr. McCurgie. We, we can't thank you enough. Make sure to catch us next time. This has been IMWT. We appreciate you guys for listening. See you all later.